Hello and welcome to this week's bonus D2C podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today we are super lucky to have the principals of Bainbridge Growth, Austin Gardner-Smith and Ben Trego, along with Nick Allen from the amazing men's skincare brand Geology. Today we're going to be diving deep on what data management platforms can do for your business, whether you're trying to lower your CAC, increase your LTV, or improve your margins. This podcast explains to you exactly why understandings of your data can lead to big growth opportunities. Hope you like it. On with the show. One of our customers had a huge amount of shipping costs. They were trying to really understand the data behind. And instantly, because we were calibrated across some other brands, we were able to say, okay, your cost order looks really, really high. It's data that they just didn't have because frankly, they didn't have the opportunity to allocate their shipping costs and their orders in a really clean way. And they were able to say, okay, that's huge. We'd go out and actually investigate that. We found you know, almost $400,000 worth of savings that they could apply over the next year. These are little things where until you have that snapshot where you can tie the data all the way through to the financials and start to understand how this impacts the bottom line and how this impacts the margin structure, it can be very difficult to find those opportunities. Gentlemen, welcome to the D2C podcast. Nick, let's start with you and geology. It's a really great brand. What can you tell us about how understanding your company's data has led to greater profits and growth? Uh, yeah, well, first of all, if you don't know what's going on in your business, how can you possibly take the next steps or you know, improve what you're doing if you don't know what your baseline is. So, I mean, we use all kinds of different types of data on our customers, on our marketing channels, on our financials, you know, on our shipping, like you name it. So we look at, we look at all of it. And, you know, the guys uh, at Bainbridge have been super helpful for us in really understanding our financials and like where we can make improvements. Like gross margin is really important to us. You know, our customer acquisition cost is really important to us. Getting repeat purchase is really important to us. And so how do all of those blend into our financials to paint a better picture is super important. What were you before you, because Geology has been around for a while um, and this sort of data, these data practices sounds like a little bit more of a recent thing. What were you finding was happening before you had a really sharp focus on each of these factors? We always had a focus on it, but it's like, how well organized is it and how quickly can you react to it? And how well are you doing sort of relative to your other benchmarks and other companies in your space? So, for example, I'll just be really specific about, you know, where Bainbridge helps us. You know, I was spending tons and tons of time in my own spreadsheets, in my own models, connecting with our accountants and importing Shopify data and getting it all clean getting it presentable. And that just takes like a ridiculous amount of time that can be better spent elsewhere. So it wasn't that like we weren't paying attention to this data. It just is now much more actionable, much more streamlined and able for me to better communicate these results to, you know, the rest of the team and our investors and things like that. So uh, Austin and Ben, you're the uh, co-founders of Bainbridge Growth. Uh, talk a little bit about the origin of Bainbridge, where it came from and, and how you kind of came to find companies like Geology. Yeah, well, thanks. Um, Austin and I were lucky enough to work at a company called Nanigans, uh, which became one of the largest of the Facebook marketing partners. And a big focus of Nanigans were consumer brands, um, gaming companies, as well as e-com. 
So on the e-com side, we, we got to work with really big brands like uh, eBay and Wayfair, but then we worked with all these, the kind of wave ones and twos of the D2C world. So think Harry's, Bonobos, Peloton, Warby Parker, Casper, um, Glossier, both in the US and around the world. And um, we're noticing some really interesting things. One is at Anagans, we had to ingest all the sales data and make forward revenue predictions um, based on current you know, sales performance or you know how customers are monetizing. And these predictions were really accurate. And we thought, you know, this is really cool. Could we apply this to something more than just Facebook advertising? Like, could this be the basis of better operational data um, and better management of these companies? So that was kind of how we got thinking about it. Um, it took us a little while to, to find the right you know, place to set our hooks. Um, and we were lucky enough to, to connect early on in that process with Nick and, and others. So give me some, some concrete examples. Obviously understanding your metrics and having them in a place where you can make decisions, where you can see where you're spending too much money. But can anyone give me some concrete examples where it's like, I, you know, I think of uh, the airlines and I think of the story about the, how the airlines decided to remove a martini or remove an olive from their martini and they saved $5 million in one year. Or, you know, little choices like that, how they end up impacting your bottom line in, in, in a great extent. Do you guys have any examples of specific database choices that resulted in, in big wins? Yeah, I can give you a couple. I mean, I think oftentimes what happens, and Nick sort of hit it right on the head, is you have all this data as a DTC brand, but getting it together and into a place where you can actually draw insights from it is really difficult. So, you know, one example, one of our customers had um, uh, a huge amount of shipping costs that were sort of, they were trying to really understand the data behind um, how their finances were doing, get a clear picture of their margins. And pretty quickly, instantly, because we were calibrated across some other brands, we were able to say, okay, your cost per shipping, you know, your cost order looks really, really high, right? Um, it's data that they just didn't have because frankly, they didn't have the opportunity to allocate their shipping costs and their orders in a really clean way. And they were able to say, okay, that's, that's, that's huge. Um, go out and actually investigate that, look into it and found, you know, almost $400,000 worth of savings that they could apply over the next year. Right. So these are little things where until you have that snapshot where you can tie the data all the way through to the financials and start to understand how this impacts the bottom line and how this impacts the margin structure, it can be very difficult to find those opportunities. So that was basically us getting the data into one place and looking at it together and saying, hey, this this variable cost margin looks a little bit off, right? What's going on here? And then you dig and you dig and you dig and you peel the onion and suddenly you find 400 grand of cash. So, you know, there's uh, lots and lots of opportunities like that. And I think a lot of them fall in places where, you know, D2C founders just aren't accustomed to looking right away as well. And so from what you've described, it's this, it's this combination between being able to analyze what's actually happening in your business right now based on getting all this data together in, in the right spot, but then also having some kind of benchmark. And I thought that was interesting having come from Nanigans. It's funny, I worked in the, in the FMP, the Facebook marketing partner space kind of early on during that period in my career. I knew some people at Nanigans. What an incredible, powerful tool to sit on top of Facebook, uh, first of all. But it's sort of like a combination of how much is the, the value that Bainbridge provides telling you what's going on in your business versus benchmarks that it's gathered from modeling other businesses? Well, benchmarks need breadth and depth to be super valuable. And so obviously that's a hard problem. Like, can you get enough companies, you know, for Nick, like he would love to know, you know, what does geology look like across other men's skincare brands, right? Oh, and by the way, with a subscription model you know, at a certain stage, like that would be hugely valuable. 
So until you can build that level of data, you have to try to find, you know, sort of your next levels up, your next levels up. So what we did is we said, well, let's start with the, the, what we can get our hands on, public company data. So, you know, Austin's built a really amazing D2C index that's available at BainbridgeGrowth.com where we track what, what we call the D2C, public D2C brands. And then we're tracking, you know, things like margins um, and then enterprise value to sales, enterprise value to EBITDA. The next level is like, okay, observe data from our customers. Well, some of that is highly applicable and some is also, you know, you have to take with a little bit of grain of salt because it's like, okay, that's not a men's skincare company with a subscription model. So, you know, their margin structure is going to be a little different, but at least I'm in the right ballpark. And, and, and getting into that ballpark can have the benefits of like Austin was explaining, where like, man, your variable, your fulfillment costs look really out of whack. You know, I don't care what type of business you are, like they, they don't look right. We should figure that out now, you know. I, I can speak to that. I mean, we're not the company that, that these guys are talking about, but, um, you know, we had a similar experience and we ended up replacing our 3PL third-party logistics provider and brought our shipping in-house. And like, figuring out that we were kind of able to do that took the help of these guys and the rest of our team to say, Hey, wait a second, this doesn't, we should be able to do this much cheaper and much more efficiently. And so it gave us the insight to go out and do it, which we wouldn't have had. And so it's, it's both a service and a platform because there's gotta be the human touch. I imagine in helping set things up and, and gather learnings from the data. Is that accurate or is it more of a platform than a service? Well, I think, the interesting thing about most of these D2C brands, um, and not to make them all sound the same because there aren't, and I think the difference between the winners and losers is all in the nuance of what they are, but from a structural business perspective, they're fairly similar, right? There's You are acquiring customers and then you are monetizing those customers typically through some sort of repeat purchase mechanic, right? And so understanding the numbers there are, are super important. And, and so what gives us the ability to play in this space with a with a, an offering that in my opinion is much much more software than than service is because we can start start to standardize some of those dynamics we're not trying to build a data platform and a financial modeling platform for plumbers and pizza shops and everyone else we're 100 percent focused on direct to consumer e-commerce and so while the inputs may be different a lot of the levers are are the same and so our goal is to build a platform that every founder even if you don't have a, a technical background right you don't have a finance background Background. You don't have an analytics background. You can come in and you can suddenly have access to the tools and the capability um, that would come from like a great co-founder who came from an investment bank and had a data science background, right? And to put those things at your fingertips. So today we're small. We're still getting started, right? You're going to get a lot of value out of working with us directly because we're still super hands-on with every customer. But we certainly view it as an opportunity for founders to really take control themselves and have the, the toolkit that enables them to be the superhuman ex-investment banker co-founder that they always, you know, might've wished that they had. That's funny. I, I luckily have a very CFO oriented uh, co-founder and, uh, and it is indispensable because it's not my natural uh, ability to kind of put that kind of data together. So I can, I can recognize that. Nick, I wanted to ask, you know, we, this podcast is like, I would say 95% about customer acquisition. And you want to say it's the sexy thing to talk about because it's the thing that you can impact. It's you can spin up an ad campaign in a, in an hour or two kind of thing and be seeing results from it filling the top of your funnel. What's your focus within geology, uh, like with your co-founder, for instance, have you been 
Have you been heavily focused on customer acquisition? And has that shifted at all over the last little while as people sort of focus more and more on retention? That's a great question. And yes, absolutely. Customer acquisition is like the engine of your growth. Um, we have, uh, you know, a full marketing team at this point, we've grown quite a bit in the last several years. Um, so we're up to probably 30 people at this point. And yes, you, you got to acquire the customer, but you can't have a leaky bucket on the other end on the customer acquisition side. We have a very diverse marketing mix, uh, that really benefits us. So when we have issues like, you know, iOS 14 sends everybody's CAC out of whack, Um, we actually, you know, did pretty well through that because we have just very diverse channel mix. So when one thing's not working, we can quickly shift spend into another area. Um, On the customer retention side, uh, yeah, that's a huge, I mean, we're a subscription business. So, um, you know, we earn, we don't, we don't make any money on our first sale. We need customers coming back and coming back and coming back. So, you know, we spend a lot of time and effort to kind of keep those customers. And if we do lose them, um, you know, understand why we lost them, when we lost them, and what we need to do to get them back. And, you know, that's that's just like a purely data question as well. So when we ingest all of that from our other data services and say, oh, okay, it's cheaper for us to go to retain a customer than it is to go get a new one. So we can see how much we're spending on the customer acquisition costs and then how much that turns into its lifetime value and the ratio between the two of those costs and whether we're, you know, making money or not. And for us, we want to return our acquisition costs as quickly as possible so that we can reinvest that money back into acquiring new customers. Yeah, I think, you know, the subscription model is something we talk about on the podcast all the time. Any other insights, Ben or Austin, into how the tool specifically uh, helps people with subscription models, you know, maximize lifetime revenue? Sure, yeah. I think one of the biggest things that we're helping Nick and, and other customers with is understanding how to actually forecast revenue from returning customers. So everyone has kind of a colloquial understanding of how this works, right? You acquire a customer, that customer comes back, maybe not the next month, but maybe they come back the next month, maybe they come back a couple months later. But to actually forecast that out, you can do a couple of things. You could really simply straight line it and say like, okay, 2% of my customers come back every month and they make a purchase worth this much, but sort of probably completely incorrect and dramatically over-representing your returning customer rate. Like that's a mistake that we see people make really commonly is they say 10% of my revenue is going to come from returning customers. And we're like, well, how'd you get to 10%? And the answer is kind of like, I stuck my finger in the air and saw which way the wind was blowing, right? So it's like my landing page is going to convert at 1%. Like, you know, you just don't, you don't know. Exactly. Don't know. And so the way that people do this is to actually say, okay, on a cohort by cohort basis, so the group of customers that were acquired in October, well, in November, what percentage of that group is going to come back? And then in December, what percentage of them are going to come back? And you sort of do that out. But you get to a point where you pretty quickly run into either, you know, very sophisticated modeling or you just hit the end of the spreadsheet, basically, right, where you can't do that. So we are using, um, you know, a little bit of sort of machine learning light, basically, to intake all of our company's historical data from Shopify, put that data into cohorts, actually observe the historical retention patterns on a cohort by cohort basis, and then forecast on a cohort by cohort basis. So Nick has something like, you know, 36 cohorts at this point um, of usable customer data. And we're actually making it a prediction for how each cohort is going to perform in each future month all the way into the future. So, you know, basically out of the box, you're getting a returning customer forecast that's super detailed. And then you can build your acquisition on top of that with the levers that you can control. But I think that's probably the most tangible example 
example of, you know, being able to translate data into a forecast in a way that wouldn't be possible without a tool set. Austin, talk about a little, like, um, you know, one of our customers who has this big marketing event every year, so it dramatically impacts those cohorts and then the follow-ons and how you can observe that in the data. But then you, you need to sort of model that into future years. Yeah, it's super interesting where you can see um, this particular customer is aligned with a large sporting event. They happen to run some TV ads around that event. So it's always a, the biggest acquisition event of the year for them, right? So they get this huge batch of customers that, that comes in the door every June or July. And then they have to kind of forecast out from there, okay, well, what's going to happen to that cohort over time? How does that cohort behave differently? And one of the big things you want to understand is, okay, I went out and spent a bunch of money on TV. Do these customers monetize the same as the customers that I acquire in other periods? So you want to know that question historically, but you also want to be able to adjust for that to say, okay, I know that this cohort, the cohort I acquire every June tends to perform differently. So how do you bake that into your forecast going forward? Um, and so that's something that our algos will, will basically automatically pick up and then put into the forecast so that you see that June bump um, without having to do anything, you know, uh, strange in your, in your model or hard code something in Excel or something like that. I think it's really fun because you get to, you, you, you invariably in the conversations with founders, um, and we've even had conversations like this with Nick, like you're looking at the data and you and everybody's like focused on some bump or dip. And you're like, oh, that's when we did this thing. And so you want to be able to market and then learn from it so that you can repeat that or avoid it into the future. And it's really hard to do that without being able to see the data in the right way. You know, otherwise it becomes a sort of like, oh, isn't that when we change the pricing or we, you know, you know, this kind of like anecdotal type analysis as opposed to hard data. There it is. You can see exactly what happened. Um, so I, I think it's fascinating. It's, you know, one of the funner things we get to do. Do you guys think people focus too much on customer acquisition these days? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, look, well, we came, Ben and I come from a, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, why, why do you say that? I mean, you got to, I mean, I guess if you're not interested in growing, you don't focus on customer acquisition, but you know, if you're a, if you're trying to grow a business and scale one as you know quickly as we are, um, I, you it's like daily, it's every day we're focused on customer acquisition. What campaigns? What marketing events? What channels? Like it's nonstop. Like we're basically you become like a marketing company. It's like all you do. As an agency, you know, that's you're, you're speaking the gospel here. And I know I'm not trying to say that we should not focus. There's no business that should not focus on customer acquisition, but it's sort of like a refocusing, doubling down our focus on that retention piece, potentially. Well, I don't know if it's just retention either. Like, I, I would say that, first of all, 100% agree, right? It's got to be CAC and. And if you are a business that is looking for any kind of growth, it's highly likely that you are already very focused on CAC. And it's highly unlikely that us or anybody else is ever going to get you to be less focused on CAC. I think the way I think about it is that that's a absolutely critical must have, but basically table stakes thing to have success in this market at this point, right? This is no longer set up Facebook ads, set up a Shopify site and like arbitrage the, the channel opportunity and hope for a win. You've got to do all kinds of different things. So you can think about a D2C business. Like I think about it like an, like an iceberg, right? And CAC is kind of the part of the iceberg that is huge and super important, but it's the part that sticks out. So it's big and scary and there's lots of data out there and there's lots of noise around it and everyone is focused on it, but there's all these things underneath the waterline in terms of optimizing your supply chain, optimizing your contribution margins, figuring out how your unit economics really work over time. Right? So I think it's the, it's not that people are 
focused on it too much and they should take that attention and put it elsewhere. Just that there are a lot of other levers in your business that might be able to bear fruit in a way that an overarching and sort of, you know, laser focused to the, you know, with blinders on about CAC might be detrimental to the business, or at least you might be leaving money on the table by not thinking about some of these other things. To add to what um, Austin was saying, you know, one of the things that, you know, you require customers, you monetize them, right? You pull them through the machine and that's kind of your margin structure. And then you hopefully get repeat, you know, customers and then you, and then you go through that process again. So every time you can make an improvement to, to that flywheel, you know, that cycle, it compounds. And I think, you know, one of the things that I thought was so impressive, like what that Nick did in his business was, you know, he saw like, okay, my contribution structure is off. Like I can do better fulfillment. And if I can do that, I drop all those dollars to the bottom line. So every time I spin a customer through my cycle, I'm going to make a little bit more money. And like, so it's like, yeah, you got to acquire the customers, but you also need to figure out how to make more money from them and then compound that because that just feeds the machine. So you know, it's definitely CAC and, but um, sometimes there's lower hanging fruit than trying to, you know, keep CAC from going from, you know, 53 to 54. There might be lower hanging fruit that you could focus on. And you wouldn't know that unless you're really seeing the whole picture. So that's what, you know, what, what we're saying, what we're saying. I mean, do you see success, like financially, is really happens I'm going to say on the margins, it's like in these places where you don't expect it that are really not like the core pieces of your business, like your return policy, your shipping rates, like literally that's where all the money is made, you know, because they're your cost of goods and your acquisition costs are like, they're just high, you know, and, and it's tough and you're competing for eyeballs and like Facebook and Google and every place like that is really good at sucking up all your money. So like, it's where do you find these other like buckets of margin and um, you got to like hunt those funny things down that you don't think is where you're going to make the difference, but that's where it's made. I think the flywheel concept is so critical and, and, you know, having come up in this space that was, you know, lower barrier to entry, you know, maybe more marketing driven, there was a time where you could feed, you know, your data and your, your, your spend into the Facebook machine and without a ton of attention to your internal efficiencies, you could get a business to a couple million dollars. But we're sort of saying that the, the low hanging fruit days like that are a little bit over and that you Those need to make gone. sure you have this efficiency, right? Long gone, Nick says. Yeah. Long gone. Yeah, the glory days. The glory days are behind us. I mean, I think that's the Ben's points super important. I mean, and to to make the flywheel concept even more obvious, like those little margin efficiency gains that you get, those actually allow you to support a CAC that might be slightly different, right? If your growth, so Nick in bringing his fulfillment costs in is probably bringing his payback time down, right? Payback period, which we think is a really probably the most critical measure when actually thinking about your CAC because it takes into account both sides of the picture. But bringing that payback window in, maybe he's able to spend a little bit more to acquire more channels and outbid the next competitor on some of those channels to continue growing, right? So it really is this this positive cycle of making those incremental changes, understanding their impact on your business, taking action on those changes, and then repeating that cycle as fast as you possibly can. Um, which is, you know, to Nick's point, like the data aggregation alone typically 
is the bottleneck that keeps too many founders from even having a shot at making those optimizations. What does an onboarding period look like with Bainbridge? I'm just curious, when you're dealing with, with so many different data sources, what does it look like when you're actually plugging into Bainbridge? And what kind of window are you anticipating you know, getting data that, that could move the needle for, for your customers? Yeah, so we onboard people. Um, you know, we like to say we can get you up and running in five days or less, where we can sort of answer the the burning questions for you and get you to a fully operationalized forecast. You know, off the shelf, we are basically standing up a, a complete data warehouse for you, right? So, if you were to build this yourself, and and Nick tried and, and is building some of this, um, right? And other customers are doing a lot of the same, which saying, okay, you go plug in super metrics and you go plug in, um, you get a big query instance set up and you pull all that stuff together and then you pretty quickly realize that, oh, that data comes in raw and unstructured and it's not super usable. And so now you hire a consultant and by the time it's all said and done, you're six months down the path and a hundred grand in the hole, right? So we stand that up for you, you know, within about, uh, probably takes 30 minutes to a day to get all the data. So we, we internalize all your historical data and get you stood up so we can present, you know, a really clean picture from an analytics standpoint of what's happened in the past, um, you know, in, in the first day. And then the rest of the onboarding period is really spent us getting to know your business and you getting to know the forecasting tools so that we can start to have strategic discussions about, okay, if I want to do this with my business, if this is where I want to go strategically, how do I translate that into a financial plan, right? How do I translate that into an operational plan that I can share with my board, that I can share with investors, that I can use to raise money, right? Things that will actually move the needle for the, for the business. So, you know, the short answer is a day to get some real insight, five days to get a plan together that you feel really good about. And then, you know, there's we'll spend a lot of time with you over the first probably 90 days that we're working together to make sure that, you know, you're comfortable, you understand where the levers are and you, you know, uh, can uh, you can fish for yourself, basically. You know, the, the teach a man to fish model is, is certainly what we want to do and empower founders to um, take control over their own financial outcomes. Very cool. Nick, just how are you feeling about Q4? I know Jellygy's it's got to be a huge, huge season for you. How, how are things going? I'm feeling fantastic. Thank you for asking. Love it. <laughs> yeah, we, um, you know, we, we, uh, we're doing super well. We're going really fast. We have a lot of people are having supply chain issues. That's mm-hmm. kind of the biggest thing that's going on these days. I'm sure you guys have probably talked about it on your podcast. And, um, you know, we've been lucky enough to have really great suppliers and we're fully in stock and we are locked and loaded for growth. I was just talking about a podcast yesterday that there may be so many people with uh, stock issues that you won't even have to offer sales. You can just be like, we have it. Yeah. <laughs> we have it. Yeah, we have in it. In stock is the new 20% off. Yeah, seriously. Nick, talk, talk about how you guys figured out the, the diagnostics, you know, translating into trial, translating into subscription, because I think that's a pretty, you know, a really unique story. Yeah, I mean, I think the question you're really asking is like, how do you, it's not just your brand, it's kind of like your business model. And like, how do you figure out how to, you know, make the business model work for you? And I think, you know, when you said, you asked your question about like, are people focused too much on CAC? In, in some regards, that's a perfect example of it. Like, there are other skincare brands out there. You know, we're not the first one. But, you know, I think what sets us apart is, you know, we try to do a great job of, like, you know, making this purchase a, a habit, a daily habit. And we want to get you in there and we give you an, an opportunity to try us out before, you know, you commit to us. And so simple things like that make a big difference over time. And really, it's like it's iteration on the business model. 
So if people want to learn more about Bainbridge Growth, uh, they should go to bainbridgegrowth.com. Make sure when you're chatting with the, the gentleman here, you let them know D2C sent you, because I think we've got lots of people in the audience who are grappling with their their data right now. I know we have a number of other um, data platforms who we're chatting with, and, and the level of data that you guys are operating with is just sort of that next level up. Uh, so I'm very, very excited to see how, how it resonates with the audience. Yeah, thanks, Eric. I mean, I think the big difference, and we know that there's tons of other data platforms and analytics platforms out there. You know, the big difference with us is I think you also get a picture of the future, right? Most of these other data analytics platforms are going to bring your data together and give you a really good picture of the past. We're also going to help, you know, craft your future and drive that picture um, so that you can see around the corner and create a better future for your business and take control. So if I wanted to leave your audience with one thing, that would that would be it because, uh, Lord knows there's enough analytics tools in the world already. Yeah, I was speaking specifically about like CDPs. I've just become more aware of customer data platforms, which are more about the customer journey in a way, right? There's a lot of platforms that teach you about, you know, how, how to, to message and segment your audience basically. But but you guys seem a little bit more focused on that next level up where you're, you're making these decisions based on whole business factors. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we just got off a call where we had a customer say, this is the only place where I can see the entire business. I can see the past, I can see the present, and I can see the future. Um, and so I think that's, you know, a super valuable concept um, to be able to have that not just at the customer level, not just at the marketing level, but also at the operations level, at the finance level, and all the way down to basically net income and EBITDA, which is ultimately, you know, these businesses, if you're a founder who wants to exit, these are EBITDA multiple businesses, right? You will be valued on a multiple of your earnings, not necessarily on a multiple of your revenue. So you better be able to see all the way down the bottom line. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.